Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for eyewitness testimony. Thank you for your glory in your resurrection and your Spirit's presence in your people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So there, there was this man, a newcomer to a, a very staid, traditional, some might say frozen, chosen Episcopal church. And he was sitting near the back, and as the opening collect was read, he suddenly said in a very loud voice, Glory! 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 And people were looking at him rather strangely and with annoyance. And the service continued, and the priest was bringing a particularly poignant message. And suddenly another outburst, glory, glory, glory. And he got a few shushes and a lot of dirty looks. And then the offertory time came and the choir sang a particularly beautiful anthem and it raised the roof and the man once again shouted, Glory! 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 And they'd had enough. The usher came and tapped him on the shoulder and said, And the man said, I can't help it. I've got the glory of God. And the usher said, Sir, you didn't get it here. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> As I was thinking about the passages today, I was thinking that finally... Jesus' disciples get it. They finally understand the glory of God manifest in Jesus. They finally understand and are given the knowledge through the scriptures that Jesus opened for them, our passage says. They understand finally what this whole experience of Jesus revealed to them about God, about God's glory, about God's forgiveness, about God's desire to be in relationship with them, about God's great love for them. They got it, and the Christian message that the church was to have, was to embrace, was to go out, go forth with, was to spread. And in our passage today, Jesus tells his disciples through the scriptures, he lays it all out for them from the books of Moses to the prophets to the Psalms and shows them God's plan for salvation through the entire 
narrative of Scripture. And he says that this, thus it's written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. They're eyewitnesses to everything that's happened. And then we didn't get verse 49 in this passage, and I think it's really important for us to hear verse 49 because Jesus is recommissioning the disciples. And verse 49 continues and says, And see, I am sending you, sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is recommissioning his disciples, and in that recommissioning, he's saying, you're not going to be doing this on your own power. You're not going to go out from Jerusalem and share the story from, the, from Moses, through the prophets, through through the Psalms, and through the story of my resurrection, my life and death and resurrection. You're not going to do this on your own. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. It's clear from what's happened all the way through the Gospels that the disciples generally aren't able to do what their heart desires. Peter's the classic example, right? Peter always wants to do what's right by Jesus and what's right in God's eyes, but he fails over and over again. And Jesus is saying, there's this one thing that you have to wait for, that you have to have in order to do what your heart desires and what you know your call is. And that is, you need this power from on high. This Holy Spirit that's going to enable you to do those things that you know you're called to do and that you want to do. The disciples get recommissioned in this passage And suddenly, the glory of Christ's resurrection is completely clear to them. They finally get it. After all the time they spent with Jesus and all the miracles they witnessed and all the stories and the things that he told them and the parables it finally comes together for them. And they understand, probably for the very first time, the breadth of the power of the resurrection and of what their call to ministry entails. It's important to understand the context of our passage today Because this last chapter of Luke really is a prologue to the the second book of Luke, which is the Acts of the Apostles. This last chapter 
sets up what happens in the Acts of the Apostles. And so when, the, when this chapter that we just read from begins, the very first thing that happens is the women discover the empty tomb. And then the second thing that happens is Jesus appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We read that story a couple of weeks ago. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus appears to the 11 and their companions. And then we get today's passage, and then, and then after that, in this, in this chapter of Luke, is Jesus' ascension. So all of these things in this chapter are setting up what the church is going to do, who the church is going to be when Jesus ascends. And Jesus, in all of these passages, in this final chapter of Luke, is addressing the disciples' fear, their confusion, their misunderstandings, and also their hope. Did you catch that one part of the gospel where Jesus come and has said, peace be with you, I'm not a ghost, see, there's skin and bones, you can touch me, you can see the marks in my hands and in my side and my feet. And, and then it says, when he'd said this, he showed them his hands, his hands, his feet, and while in their joy, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. That confusion, even as they see him bodily, yet again, that confusion is still there, but the joy is starting to sneak in. The joy and the realization of who Jesus is and that death has not triumphed, that Jesus triumphs over death, that resurrection has occurred. And that joy is starting to creep in, but they're still a little bit confused. And then as Jesus opens the scriptures to them, they get it. Glory! They get it. And if there's any passage in Acts that better illustrates the transformation of the disciples, and particularly the one who we often think of messes up and gets, puts his foot in his mouth more than any of the others, today's passage from Acts shows us what the result is of them finally getting the story and finally being empowered to do the work of God. Let's look at that, that passage for a second from Acts. So we pick up right after Jesus, right after Peter and John, excuse me, have healed in the name of Jesus a man who was from birth crippled. And the whole community knew him. He, he sat at the temple steps and and he, and he begged. And he begged for something from Peter and John. And, 
And Peter famously says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I can give you is healing in the name of Jesus Christ. He grabs him by the hand, lifts him up. The man's ankles and feet are strengthened, and he walks. And he goes into the congregation, and he's praising God and jumping and shouting, glory, glory. And then we get today's passage that we read. And I think it's really striking that Peter, the one who denied Christ three times and the one who was always getting it wrong and who was terrified for his life, then says to the gathered Israelites, Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we'd made this man walk? And... This God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, and the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, and he's the guy you guys killed. He's the guy that you and your rulers put to death. Shame on you. (laughs) Peter gets up and tells him like it is and says, you killed the author of life. And We're all witnesses to this. We saw you do it. And by faith, this crippled man has been healed. The power that was promised to the disciples has been manifested not only in Peter's speech, but in the healing of this crippled guy. But Peter doesn't lay the guilt trip on too thick. He then says, now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. And he tells them to repent and turn to this one who gives power to heal, this one who loves, this one who cares for each of us as the unique people that we are. So this power that came that Jesus promises and is recommissioning is manifest right here in this passage in Acts. So at the end of Luke, the very last chapter from which we're reading, he's setting up the whole book of Acts, the second volume of his work telling the story of the church. And there's three really important theological connections from this last chapter of Luke and leading us into Acts. The first one is that what happens in Acts is a direct result, not just of the life of Jesus, but of his resurrection. The second theme, theological theme in Acts, that comes from this last passage in Luke, this last chapter, is that the spread of the church in Acts is linked to the disciples' recommissioning. And the third thing is, is that the Holy Spirit's empowerment of the disciples, of God's people, is the reason the church spreads, the church grows that people are converted, that the church has vitality and life, and many are added to their number daily. 
So where are we with all this? Are we like the disciples, filled with joy, but still kind of unbelieving and fearful? Are we like the guy in the pew that doesn't care and just going, glory, (laughs) glory to you, Lord God. I'd like us to think about where we are right now with God and with our understanding and with our faith in Jesus. Do we really believe that he empowers us for ministry? Do we call on his power? The power of the Holy Spirit. Do we call on the Holy Spirit's power to enable us to do the work that we're called to do? Dave and I have this friend who we met in seminary. His name's Brian Bywater. And if ever there was a modern-day evangelist, Brian is it. He works for the church army. And... um, His particular ministry is one of feeding the homeless and clothing the homeless. But he has ministry wherever he goes because of his willingness to be available to God in his absence of fear in proclaiming the gospel. He stands at his daughter's bus stop and wears silly clothing and puts on silly wigs and does dances for the bus as they go by. And all the kids know the joy of the Lord through Brian's ministry of being goofy at the bus stop. I've actually seen little videos that he's posted of his bus stop ministry. Wherever Brian goes, he tells people the reason he has this joy. He tells people about Jesus. He's constantly bringing Jesus up in conversation. He has the particular gift of evangelism, and that action of Brian always challenges me. He challenges me to be more open in what I believe and and be more willing to share and everyday experiences with people that are complete strangers and encounters that I have with them. Mind you, I don't go out to the bus stop and do goofy things because that's, even though I'm goofy, that's not really my personality. But because of the challenge that Jesus and the recommissioning that Jesus gives his disciples and, by the way, gives us, I, in my particular way, with the particular gifts that I have, just like you have particular gifts and particular things that you and particular people that you come in contact with, I try to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, as St. Francis is known for saying. Some of us, like Brian, will be goofy and way out there and, and... 
And others of us will do it in a quiet way. But I'd like each of us today to really examine where are we with this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Where in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our social lives, in our church, in our volunteerism, do we live out the commission? Because make no mistake, we're all called to it. We're all called to it. And the place to start is right here. <laughs> it's right here. It's our own personal conversion, if you will. Our own willingness to say, glory be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.